there was an interview one day, and we went to the bathroom, and I had to do it for him. Yeah. And he was before the interview. He's like, uh, he's in his t-shirt, and I'm like, I'm everyone's like, what's going on? I'm, like, I'm just turning his uh, thing, straightening it up for him for his interview. Yeah, right, guys, what, guys, what else is this? Sorry, sorry, we're live. It was, it was recording all this time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we're, we're live. We're live. Chill, 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 chill. We're live. of the Shady Youth. As usual, I'm your host Shaquille, and in this very special episode, we have a returning guest. You remember, you may remember him from last week's episode on, it was supposed to be Bitcoin, but it was more of an intro to economics. Now this week, inshallah, we'll go a bit more into the topic of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. We have the one and only Dewan Hassan. Wait, uh, real quick though, should I, uh, should I use, uh, the, can I get the presentation thing so I can go over the, like, I have the notes. I'm so sorry. I did such a good intro. <laughs> it's great. That's yeah. great. I'm so sorry. Go for it. You know, uh, I can't. You can expect me to remember four hours of stuff. Can't you? Uh, you got it. You got it. You got it. All right. Thank you. We're at Bitcoin Genesis. All right. Inshallah. All right. Um, but before that, Anything? before that, the one. How are you? Um, Assalamualaikum, bro. How, I'm good. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. Amazing. Amazing. Um, Wait, are so, we starting from the beginning, or is this it? This is it, bro. Like, I'm not. I don't think I'm gonna. No, 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 no. Let's start from the beginning. I'm so embarrassed. Already. So, <laughs> all right, go ahead. I'm not redoing the intro. All right, you want to move to the left a little bit so I don't mess with the close to the camera. You're okay, no, no, bro. That I is, just don't like that. That's fine. All right. You're okay. Right, you look good. Don't worry. All right, don't worry. Screw for a little bit. Yeah, we're good. Look, because the camera's scary. See. You know what they wanted to like the whole wardrobe change for this? Like he. No, this is how I dress at home. Oh, okay. Mashallah. Yeah. So we're really getting. Let's do it. So. It's okay, bro. It's okay. All right. So anyway, what do you have lined up first? Um. Yeah, so I'm pretty awkward on camera, but okay. I think so I'll tell you what code better than last time. Um, we're going to look at both cameras or just this one? Look whatever you want, man. All right, so uh, today we'll be talking about Bitcoin. Last time, I wanted to set a backdrop of some understanding of macroeconomics mm -hmm. and these two forces in the economy, inflation and deflation. Inflation being the gradual rise of uh, the price of things around us, and deflation being the opposite, when things get cheaper, mm -hmm. like what we saw during the Industrial Revolution, when things just became a lot cheaper to produce. Yeah, yeah. The reason why I did that is because having that uh, understanding of economics really makes understanding Bitcoin easier, because Bitcoin at the end of the day was a currency that was created, even though uh, everyone talks about the technology and stuff, at the end of the day there's economics of Bitcoin as well, and so economics becomes really important. So today, inshallah, we're going to talk about Satoshi Nakamoto, this pseudonymous figure who created Bitcoin uh, in 2008, but then he launched it, I think, in like 2009, uh, January. And it was a very political decision that he made because when the first block, or which is a set, set of transactions, was um, created in the Bitcoin blockchain, there was a certain, there was a statement that he published along with it, and it was the New York Times like uh, headline at the time. It was like, banks on the verge of bailing out, uh, no, uh, no uh, the government, it's like the government's in the verge of bailing out uh, banks, uh, something along those lines. And mm -hmm. essentially he was just saying they're about to print a lot of money and we're about to bail out these corporations who acted very irresponsibly, uh, giving mortgages to people who were not qualified for them. Sure. What year was that? This is in uh, 2009, I think, uh, okay. around January. Uh, that's when the first block of transactions was made and that was the message I was sent with it. Uh, and so he published a nine-page white paper. In it, um, he um, he says that Bitcoin is a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash system, meaning it only requires two people to transact 
There's no third party intermediary like a bank. There's no PayPal. There's no Cash App. There's Shaquille, and they want transacting however much money you want. Uh, mm-hmm. You could transact hundreds of billions of dollars if you wanted to eventually, but now it's do tens of billions easily. Um, actually, you could do hundreds of billions as well. It wouldn't really matter. Uh, the amount itself doesn't matter. Um, but yeah, it's pretty amazing uh, having something like that because at the end of the day, like even we're trying to transact huge amounts of money right now, whether it's gold something else we need huge amounts of security as well to move that money around that's why the majority of our uh, cash itself like 97 percent of it is actually digitally uh, mm-hmm. created everything else that we see as physical cash is just three percent or less of the world's um, dollars okay um so satoshi nakamoto i remember you saying at a certain point that it might not even be like one person yeah like it might actually be a group of people yeah, so a lot of people speculate that this guy was so smart that he was yeah. he was able to predict um, like he was able to predict he you kind know, of he had a basic understanding of cryptography. Uh, so he he's clearly he knew how to code. He knew yeah. um, he knew economics and how it worked. He created a system in which uh, you control the inflation rate and the supply and so much. He he had knowledge about all these different fields. And he had a good understanding of game theory, uh, which is like the study of how uh, different parties interact with each other and what the likely outcome is based on the incentives that each party has. Mm-hmm. So he was able to understand all of these different fields of knowledge. And so this guy's a savant, right? He's a genius yeah. if it's just one individual. So some people are like, maybe maybe it's someone else. Maybe it's a group of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most people believe it's like a handful of people, including this guy named Hal Finney, who's, who's dead. So if it was him then Satoshi would be dead. But other people don't really think that. But the thing about Satoshi is he has 1 million Bitcoin mm-hmm. that he uh, that he initially had for himself, but he never moved them once. He never sold any. Mm-hmm. He never moved any of them. So that's something that um, gives people a lot of faith in Bitcoin as well. Like this, is, this guy un- believes it enough to not even sell it after 12 years. And now it's worth like $700 um, billion dollars in total. He has uh, one, he has what oh, one twenty one millionth of that. No one one out of twenty one of that. Sorry. One out of twenty one of the million. Of, of the seven hundred billion dollars. Because he has one million out of twenty one million bitcoins. Okay. Yeah. So Bitcoin as a whole is right now seven hundred billion. Yeah. And he has one twentieth of that seven hundred billion. Yeah, he has one twenty twenty one. One twenty one. Twenty one. Yeah. Of of that bitcoin, so he's. He's an incredibly wealthy individual. He just hasn't spent that's any of 30, that money. That's that's around thirty-five billion. I can't do uh, yeah, public yeah, math for it. Just like thirty-five yeah. million. Yeah, that's crazy. But and he hasn't he hasn't he sold hasn't it. spent a single cent of it. Yeah, like he hasn't sold. No, he has never sold it. The thing is, if he did sell it, uh, it would be a, it would also give people more clues about his identity and stuff as well. But yeah. at the same time, he could also be dead. Who knows? No one really knows why right. he didn't do it. Or maybe he just believes in it so much that. He's like, I'm gonna wait till this thing's a currency, to uh, um, right, to uh, so how what? what? You can use it. Oh my god, you're one of these okay, buddy? Okay. I just pulled. Yeah. I should just pull it. Yeah. That song. Um, that other bro. Well, yeah. Now, if I'm not finished record for you, I think I already want to at least make table. But well, we're just recording. Okay. Oh, I call for you because I'm open. Well, we just we just interrupted the recording for the video, okay?
How are we going to have guests already? Yeah, so sorry guys, uh, my sister just called. We're with Shaquille and Rasha though. Yeah, and we're at my house, so my sister's I'll like, yeah, they, can't, they, can't, no, they can't leave without eating. <laughs> yeah, I gotta cut it off. Alright, we're good. Um, you can continue. Yeah, so I, I do want to get into the specifics of uh, Bitcoin and what it is. Uh, the history is very important too, but I just wanted to mention that it is a very political thing, right? Yeah. Some of the first adopters of I Bitcoin. Think, I think what a lot of people are attracted by particularly with Bitcoin, is just the lore of it. Like, it seems, like, different from um, from other cryptos where Bitcoin, like, with Satoshi Nakamoto, that seems, like, straight out of, like, a comic book. Yeah. Like, his whole identity is secret. He he did that whole m- message, cryptic message, with, like, you know, the government would bail out these yeah. banks. Um, I don't know, it just seems, like, super heroic, but also villainous at the same time. Like, kind seems of like, like what? Like, kind of like Robin Hood? Yeah, kind of like Robin Hood, yeah. right? Yeah. So and I, I do agree, and so early on, uh, he's a very smart guy. So he mm-hmm. first he put into uh, into this forum with a group of cypherpunks, and these people were very. Uh, What's a cypherpunk? Uh, yeah, it's complicated. But these guys are like, um, yeah, I'm not the best person to ask that. See, <laughs> cypherpunks are like, uh, they're they're. Somehow. I don't want to get in trouble for saying like they're okay. geeks or something, but uh, uh-huh, they yeah. are. They're like very much into. Um, they they, a lot of them share libertarian philosophy, but they're into okay. like uh, privacy, and uh, protecting like and cryptography, okay, uh, and all these other things. But this is yeah, this is the one question that uh, okay, yeah, caught yeah. me off guard. But uh, at the end of the day, like um, these people, he put in this forum knowing that these people are gonna understand what Bitcoin is. They're gonna mm-hmm. look at this and be like, wow, this is. This just solved a very complex problem in software engineering, which is the Byzantine Generals problem, which was essentially this problem that said uh, you don't want in the network itself, mm-hmm. just like when you had an army, you don't want it to be uh, vulnerable at one single point. Like you can destroy the entire network just by destroying one single point, mm-hmm. or uh, because that one point is vulnerable. Just like if you had an army and I don't know, you just bombed the army. Well, now the entire kingdom's army is vulnerable because you you are centralized to one single point. You had one military base or something. So Bitcoin itself is not centralized. You have, if you were to call the people who mine and uh, confirm the transactions of Bitcoin, they're they're all over the world, and there's an incentive for them to do it because they get rewarded mm-hmm. a certain amount of Bitcoin from transactions and new Bitcoin that's created. So he solved that problem in um, in computer science, and so now you have this first decentralized network, computer network, that allows for you to transact monetary value from one individual to another without any intermediary. So these guys were like, wow, this is profound. And Satoshi himself, I don't know if he if he was really confident that it would be worth something, but he was like, you know, maybe you should keep some in case it catches on. I was like, okay, uh, it's dope. And he wrote other things like, um, he, he, he had a good idea of like, okay, this could become something valuable in the future. And the technology itself was valuable. So he released it to a group of people who were very, very excited about it, like totally geeking out about this, like, oh my god, and some of them were crazy enough, they're like, I'm putting all my money into Bitcoin, I'm like, wild, like, uh, at that time, when it was barely worth anything, there was Did no exchange or anything, in what year? probably around 2011, 2010, 2012, around that area, but mm-hmm. they, but Satoshi himself, he released this in 2009, right. and a, he released it to a few people, I think Adam Beck, who's the, the CEO of this company called Blockstream Green, mm-hmm. 
he was one of those people and he himself is like pivotal to the community and a lot of the work that's being done around it there's a lot of uh, og bitcoiners who um who really uh who really ate it up right and they they love the idea of it they mm-hmm. and at the time remember there wasn't all this monetary incentive for them because yes the value was going up a lot but it was so volatile like imagine it going up uh i don't know like 20 times and then mm-hmm. falling in 90 percent and then these guys are holding through it these guys are holding their bitcoin throughout that which is really amazing um and then some of them are like hey i don't want i don't want to use the government's money so i'm gonna put all my money to bitcoin even though it has that crazy volatility that requires a, a crazy amount of conviction in bitcoin itself so satoshi was smart in knowing this is the forum that i should probably uh release this into so yeah that's that's why it was so important gotcha okay so right now we have no idea where he is what he's doing yeah the question arises how do we know that he himself has not uh done something because bitcoin is like essentially his creation right if we don't know anything about him how do we know that he's not gonna mess with it yeah so because he um he didn't just create a network that's distributed across a bunch of different uh, nodes and miners mm-hmm. that's what we call them can you define those yeah um so bitcoin itself uh every time there's a transaction that's sent it's a distributed ledger a ledger that the ledger itself uh, records every transaction that's ever made so every bitcoin that was ever created from the very beginning of its mm-hmm. creation to now we can look at the so movement this of those funds. Be a bad comparison but you know how for all christians the Preserved tablet, yeah, that has, yeah, every single second of other written on it. Yeah, might be bad comparison. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I, I, am not a chef, so I'm not gonna yeah. comment on it. But, <laughs> that, uh, that com- yeah, so, yeah. so this, I don't know. This ledger know. is recording every single transaction that is taking place. Actually, a better comparison would be like the two angels, like just writing down. Yeah, 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 yeah the two angels were yeah. writing out every single deed that you yeah. ever committed. So, so the ledger is like that. Yeah. Okay. And, but it's very important because now you have it's pseudonymous in the sense that you know that there's a transaction happening that someone's transacting this mm-hmm. value from one person to another. You just don't know who those people are unless you figure out uh, whose uh, wallet address that is, right? Okay. Identify them in some other ways, dox them, right? Essentially, there's no way for you to really know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's why like privacy around Bitcoin becomes a huge concern when you use these exchange exchanges like Coinbase and stuff. Because they st- obviously know who you are, and they know mm-hmm. that which wallet you use to send money to another wallet. Gotcha. So that creates this point in which you um, can identify that individual. But uh, essentially, um, the ledger records every single transaction that happens. And obviously, when you're transacting this, um, uh, when you're transacting it, this is this network itself is a very big network with a lot of security, and a lot of people claim that Bitcoin is the most secure network in the world. Um, because of the total compute power or ha- uh, ha- the hash rate of the Bitcoin network. What's hash rate? Yes, yeah, so the hash rate is uh, just in simple terms, it's like total compute power uh, combined from all the different computers mm-hmm. that are helping confirm the transaction, as well as all the miners who are um, mining new Bitcoin. Uh, that's like the best, easy explanation I can okay. have. But I, I, I myself am learning a lot of this. I don't know if you said it, but you mentioned an, a node. Yeah, so again, nodes. So every so when these transactions are, conf- are confirmed, uh-huh. you've sent a transaction 
and it's being recorded. Yes. But someone has to compute uh, all of this. Yeah. So there's these miners and mm -hmm. node operators. A miner is uh, a person who operates a machine. Yes. Or uh, or it's a machine that operates that um, people yeah people set up so that you can help. Uh, essentially, you're helping solve a very complex math problem. Mm -hmm. And that's what secures the Bitcoin network. You're solving a very, very complex math problem. And the Bitcoin network itself adjusts uh, how difficult that problem is, such that every 10 minutes, a certain amount of Bitcoin is created. And I'll explain how they do that. Okay. Now, node op miners, they're solving these complex problems, but they also operate as node operators. Node operators are people who are confirming the transactions that are happening in the Bitcoin network. So this includes people... Um, or just running a, they're not they're not mining, but they're also they just have a, com uh, a small setup or a computer where they uh, literally confirm that the transaction has been made. And so the Bitcoin network has multiple transactions. So just like with the hadith, right? Like I've narrated, the Rasulullah has narrated a hadith. Now all the people who have heard it have all confirmed the hadith. Yes. They've all said, oh, this is what he said, and they're like, wait, are you sure this is what he said? And they've all confirmed. Yeah. Those were his words. Okay. Similarly, when a Bitcoin transaction is sent you have um, all these computers, not just one, many, many of them, uh, who all confirm, okay, this is the amount that was transacted so by this person. transaction will be mutawatir. Yes, uh, <laughs> it becomes mass transmitted within the Bitcoin yeah. network. Such that no one can dispute that that transaction exactly. was made. Okay. And, and what happens is they confirm it once, they confirm it twice, and then I think twice or three times is the number of transactions where it's like solid, like you can't ever disagree with that anymore ever again no one no it just becomes impossible to refute that after that okay uh you know so no like this uh hadith is daif like none of that like, <laughs> no uh, reputations yeah none of that this <laughs> transaction is not daif right this it's uh it's strong it's mutawatir at this point okay. uh so then um what happens is be, and why do they do that right so the miners they're incentivized um to do this because they're rewarded mm -hmm. by Every time someone transacts, there's a transaction fee. Mm -hmm. So they receive a small portion, uh, percentage of that transaction fee. This uh, is only the miners. And uh, I think the node operators receive a very small amount, but it's The minimal. node operators are the ones that record it. All right. Well, both the miners. So the miners are solving these complex problems, yeah. but they also function as node operators because they're also confirming the transactions. Yeah. Okay. And the node operators, they don't solve the complex problems because those machines are super expensive. They're just um, being witness to the the transaction and there's yeah. there's multiple benefits for them to do that they can increase their the privacy of their transaction mm -hmm. by confirming it themselves and they're also uh, helping the bitcoin network and remember if you're like a if you're someone who really believes in this idea you, you want to be someone yeah. who's contributing to the network and helping uh, do this uh and so okay is it similar to torrenting mm. with the with the seeding and you know i i wouldn't i don't know the okay. specifics of, uh, <laughs> yeah, of yeah. that but for the Bitcoin blockchain, that um, that becomes very valuable because now you have a world in which um, you can transact monetary value from one person to another. Mm -hmm. There's no other party, and you can be so confident in this network, even though there's there's no one person behind it. There's a bunch of people behind it. Yeah. And let's say the government wants to shut down Bitcoin. A lot of people are worried. Oh, they're going to shut down Bitcoin. Well, they could turn off the internet, and you can literally use um, an antenna to connect to uh, these four or six satellites that uh, this company Blockstream Green has launched that streams the Bitcoin network through satellites. And what's amazing is, crazy? Uh, yeah, I, I read oh, this man. and I was like, this is wild. These guys are crazy. Uh, they take this so seriously, right? And I, I spoke to 
one of the guys, uh, I spoke to one of the guys who works there, and he's amazing. They, they launched, and what's so funny is, um, I think it's called the Kessler effect, but our, uh, essentially what, it, what they've done is they positioned the satellites in places such that if the U.S. government was like, hey, I kind of want to just get rid of Bitcoin altogether, we'll turn mm-hmm. off the internet, we'll turn off the radio because we can transmit Bitcoin through the radio as well. <laughs> and then right. they're like, I want to shoot down the satellite. <laughs> They're going to shoot down that satellite, and they're likely to harm another country's satellites and start a war. Damn. So that, that's game theory for you. They, they thought of this. That's Kessler effect. That, yeah. It's going to explosion, explode, and then all the um, debris yeah. is just going to go and hit other things. Yeah. And you can't really control much of that. And so they've set it up so that every point in the Earth, you can literally set up a... Uh, you become a node. Uh, you, you, can, you, can, you, can become an, uh, you can operate a node, and you can send Bitcoin. Uh, from any any point to another, which is amazing, right? Yeah. Um, and so it becomes Bitcoin is incredibly difficult. You can regulate it, like obviously majority of people buy it on exchanges mm-hmm. and stuff. But even in places like Venezuela, like I know I, I saw some guy on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I actually love what he's doing. He has a antenna set up because mm-hmm. he uh, the government has like some regulation around it. But at the end of the day, like they have ma- ma- uh, hyperinflation, mm-hmm. and he wants to transact using the Bitcoin network and to receive Bitcoin. Uh, for the work that he's doing, so he set up one that connected to the blockstream satellite. There's many others. There's yeah. there's some group in Japan that did it just because it was fun. Uh, I I was considering uh, setting up a satellite in my backyard. I was like, it's it's only like four hundred bucks to set up. So I was like, you know, that could be a very cool project to do. In the future. But you would need someone. You would need to know someone else with the satellite. No, you're just connecting to the satellite itself, and that's connecting oh, not just to, right, right, that's right, connecting right. to the whole Bitcoin network. So okay. that's not just connecting to other people with satellites. It's connecting to uh, right, okay. all the people who are having machines that are mining. Remember, you would need to you could get rid of all the I don't know I don't know how you would even find all the machines and miners and uh, node operators within the U.S. Mm-hmm. and get rid of them. But even if you did, like you somehow walked into their house and knew exactly where they did it, you you walked into the the facility where that they have purchased that yeah. they're doing it. Yeah. There's people who do it underground, like where it's like hidden from people as well. Mm-hmm. Even when you do that, what you've created it is now there's a huge incentive for all these people who are who are trying to transact in Bitcoin who are yeah. at the end of the day like in this last year they've become incredibly wealthy, a lot of them, right? Yeah. Not just this last year, but many of them. But now they can just go they're they're incentivized to go to another country. Mm-hmm. And a country like Singapore, right, they have very uh, nice regulations around Bitcoin. I got a call from Omaha, so that must be one. Okay, I'm joking. It's okay. uh, a scam call, obviously. But yeah. Um, but essentially, wait, what was the last thing I was saying? Um, about the satellites. I forget the exact Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I was talking about satellites for a while. That's why. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, I was, I was really, <laughs> I, was, I was really looking forward to that one point. Damn that person from Omaha. Okay, all right. Let's see. Um, Oh, well. Right. You can think, bro. I'll cut this part. Should I say this? Let's get far and forget. Or, yeah. Wait, what was the last point I was talking about? Should I, do you know? I don't know if we could cut from the scam thing and being like, speaking of scams, um, what's, you know, uh, centralized coin versus decentralized and how many. No, 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 it's, it's complicated, jump. right? Yeah. So complicated. I would even cover We're just with Bitcoin Genesis right now. That's, that's a huge jump for me. Just we'll talk about that, but it gets to there. I don't know if you didn't talk about it. Yeah, okay. So, myself. Yeah, yeah, my fault, yeah. Uh, but essentially, um, yeah, sorry about that. We had the short interruption. But essentially, these satellites, um, 
allow for yeah my fault what I was trying to mention we're at Singapore right? yeah. so if the US right. decides to yeah. ban Bitcoin yeah. in the US mm -hmm. there's an incentive for another country to um, to uh, lax the regulations around it mm -hmm. because then it would attract the capital from this country all the people who own Bitcoin from this country they have a more higher incentive to move their money to somewhere like Singapore an offshore account right? mm -hmm. or they just might move to Singapore and Singapore would be more than welcome because they're bringing huge amounts of capital and investment yeah. and they'll be spending money in their economy as well but not just that the Bitcoin network itself functions in such a way that uh, every time you mine there's a fixed amount of Bitcoin that's being created that number can't be changed no matter what um, every 10 minutes a certain amount has been created and then there's a certain amount of transaction fees that are being collected as well so what happens now is when you've um, by the way, we had these huge jobs. I want to I want to explain this in like a simpler terms today. Yeah. I had it in my presentation right here. Mm -hmm. But um, what you've done there is imagine there's a pile. Like every 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 ten minutes, there's ten Bitcoin that are created, and there's a bunch of people around the world. The more people that mine Bitcoin, the smaller the individual uh, amount that you'll get, right? Because at the end of the day, there's only ten yeah, that's being yeah. created. So if the U.S., which represents a good portion of the mining, suddenly bans it all, there's only ten being created every. No, no, I'm saying in this hypothetical situation. Okay, that's right. right now it's like something like six point two five or something that's being created. Yeah. Um, every every how many? Every roughly every ten minutes. But every like, ten minutes there's roughly six. Yeah. Yeah, it's something around six point two five right now. But oh. let's just say for um. Yeah, my father. No, I need to kind of. I need to um. Yeah, I need to say that say this in like much simpler terms later. Oh. But you have a certain amount that's been created. So the more people that mine, yes, it doesn't necessarily increase the profitability the more people that mine the it makes it less profitable if anything because proportional to the amount of computing power that they're contributing to the network yeah that's how much bitcoin they'll, they'll receive as a reward and so the us which represents a good portion of the mining network of bitcoin suddenly disappears mm -hmm. like not disappears the us doesn't disappear but if the mining <laughs> network within the us disappears and the government shuts it down now everyone else makes more money because now they're receiving a, a larger part of this pie what the yeah, my fault. Um, yeah, so they're receiving a larger portion of this pie of Bitcoin, essentially. So because of that, um, even if a government bans it, they're more incentivized. They're going to lose out economically a big time if they do that. Short term, it could cause the price to go down, whatever. But long term, they've now all these other countries are now m more incentivized to allow Bitcoin. Because at the end of the day, like, you have this world where the dollar is dominating. Mm -hmm. And obviously, other countries are competing. Uh, they've made it very clear that China, they're competing with the U.S. And so they want, it's a huge opportunity for them if something like that happens. So the game theory of it, there's so much more on this. Like, um, and you could, I recommend reading this essay called The Number Zero in Bitcoin by Robert Breedlove. The beginning seems like it's really complicated. We could just skip mm -hmm. the beginning portion where he talks about numerology and stuff. That's right. Uh, and, the, and, and he compares it to... Um, Essentially, he, he talks about why it's so difficult to ban. And he also has another essay that's uh, it's called The Letter to Ray Dalio. It's on his Medium page by Robert Breedlove, which is really amazing as well. But yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead. Let's see. Uh, so, mm, let's see. So, a bit, one Bitcoin can essentially, what's nice is you have 21 million Bitcoins. So, a lot of people are like, wait, if 21 million people own Bitcoin, then how do I own Bitcoin? Well, What's nice is one Bitcoin can be broken into 100 million parts. Mm -hmm. So, and those 100 million parts, which are called uh, Satoshis, right? One Bitcoin is made up of 100 million one Satoshis. One 100 millionth yes. of a Bitcoin is a Satoshi. Yes. Okay. And so that Satoshi itself recently, like, uh, there's been, 
there's ways of you breaking it further down, like they're breaking it down even further. Okay. Uh, which is pretty amazing. So you can literally put one cent into Bitcoin. At this well, point. yeah, you can do that even now. That's I think yeah. that's a few satoshis. Oh, that's a good amount. That's already just. Oh right, right, yeah, because yeah, yeah. Bitcoin right now is worth yeah. thirty something. At one at one point there will be a parity where like one satoshi is worth <laughs> one cent. I think I think that's gonna happen eventually, but we'll see, inshallah. Um, but essentially, um. Yeah, so That'll the quote hits a million. I have no clue. Because uh, one one hundred million. Yeah. That'll be when, if one satoshi hits a cent, that means Bitcoin yeah. will be a million. Bro, Which means anytime, 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 anytime yeah, someone yeah. asks me to do public <laughs> math, I just uh, my brain shuts off because I was like, I'm like I, I'm gonna embarrass myself. I'm, I'm gonna be like, I'm like, I'm like two plus two is equal to three, and they're like. And you're gonna be like, of course I have to include this in the in the edit. And I'm gonna be like, what was I thinking? Saying two plus two is equal to three. Um, but essentially, uh, yeah. this is a really nice quote. It says, Bitcoin is essentially a a ledger of ownership of virtual coins. There are only twenty one million of these coins, and a few million addresses that own them. But in the future, there can be as you can have as many addresses of people who own them. Um, this is according to Saifuddin Amos. This is his quote from his book, uh, The Bitcoin Standard. And he says, The root problem with conventional currencies is all the trust that's required to make it work. The central bank, which is the entity that issues all the currency that we see around the world, uh, and different countries have their own central banks, mm-hmm. uh, must be trusted not to debase the currency, meaning they have to be trusted to not cause inflation uh, by printing a lot of that money. Right? Yeah. All right, bro, I'm going to accept this video. One sec. Uh, hello? 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 This is the callback that was requested oh, from PayPal. All right, all right. When... Oh, my God. Do you want to sign? He's on the line. Press 1 to be connected with an agent. This call may be recorded or monitored for quality purposes. Just a moment while I transfer you. Where is it going? Uh, I'm so sorry. Uh, Alright, I was saying this quote essentially uh, from, I think, Saifuddin Amos, where he says, The root problem with conventional currencies is all of that, all of the trust that's required uh, of you of the, from the central bank, right? Because you have to trust the central bank isn't going to print more money uh, than what they're supposed to and inflate uh, the currency, like we see hyperinflation and all parts of the world, but you see different amounts of inflation uh, uh, going from country to country. And even the U.S. experiences inflation, but the government may, may not necessarily publish that in their official inflation reports. But we clearly see inflation in certain things that aren't uh, considered in government's in- inflation measure, which is, uh, yeah, it's just unfortunate. But people in the investment community know about this, and they understand it very well. So. And, his, and he says history is uh, the history of fiat currencies, which are currencies that are not backed by anything. As we mentioned before, uh, we had the gold standard before. Even before 1971, we had money that was essentially backed by gold. Um, yeah, and now you have currencies that aren't backed by anything. It's just a piece of paper and trust mm-hmm. in the government or trust that the, the government won't print so much money that it uh, devalues. It's a, at the end of the day, it's an experiment. And so he, this is what Satoshi Nakamori is talking about here. And he says, history is full of breaches of that trust. Mm-hmm. And when he, when he published that first uh, headline on that first block of the New York Times uh, 
uh, title for that article, they essentially, the headline for that day, essentially what he's saying is, history has been filled with these uh, betrayals from governments who have printed more money than mm -hmm. what is sustainable uh, to maintain the value of the currency. Mm -hmm. And this is what you're doing right now as well. In 2008, we, that printing was not sustainable for the country, and now, now in 2020, we're starting to feel a lot of the uh, consequences of those actions back then. And so, um, he's essentially just talking about why he created this, what his intention was, what was his motive, and it's a political one and it's an economic one as well. Now you have a currency that uh, uh, isn't. No one can debase. No one can print more Bitcoin than 21 million. There will only ever be 21 million. The, and all these network uh, people confirming the transactions, who are validating, uh, validating transactions and securing the network by solving these complex problems, they're all maintaining that um, there will be 21 million Bitcoin. This is how the, every 10 minutes this, this much will be uh, dis uh, dispersed mm -hmm. and created, and uh, and eventually in the year 2140 or something like you're gonna have no more Bitcoins created, and that's it. And those people are now gonna be fully those node operators and they're going to be fully in charge of just uh, validating the transactions. And by that point, maybe governments are doing it or something. Is 2140 uh, a set date, or is that just an estimate? I'll explain what's an estimate. Because, okay. every ten, because there's a certain amount of Bitcoin that's being created roughly every 10 minutes, right? Mm -hmm. it's roughly every 10 minutes. And right. we'll talk about why. Because of that, you can't give an exact value of what... Ex you'll, you have a rough idea of which year, around 2040. It'll be around 2140, but I just don't know the exact time, because okay. it might be off little bit from there but that's that's the year that I usually hear um, that I've read about uh, and you can actually do a calculation but again no public math for me gotcha. uh, so Bitcoin was created to be similar to gold it has a it has a limited uh, and finite supply but unlike um, gold we don't know what the total supply of gold is because we have in mind all the gold that exists in the earth but we do know that they're both scarce in the sense that there's just only a certain amount of Bitcoin that's created but the demand could be higher but no matter how much the demand is increased, you can't change the, uh, the amount of new Bitcoin that's being mined. You can't change that at all. But with gold, if there's a lot of demand for gold, what you can essentially do is uh, you can go ahead and mine more gold because there's now a higher incentive to mine gold because maybe the price of gold is a lot higher now. But even then, I think the major, I think Saifuddin Amos, the number he gives is the most we ever increase the supply of uh, Gold is something like 2.3% in a year or 2.6%, somewhere around there. Okay. That's the most we've ever increased it. That's, that's in comparison to the US increasing the supply of dollars like 25% this last uh, like 12, 18 months, right? Yep. Um, so it's ridiculous, right? So by the end they, they, gold is doing a much better job of making sure that the total amount of gold isn't being deba uh, debased or inflated away. So he, uh, this is what someone writes. I forget who I quoted here. I think it was... Um, yeah, this is, this is actually Satoshi here himself in the white paper. He says, uh, as a thought experiment, imagine there was a base metal as scarce as gold with the following properties. It's boring gray in color. It's not a good conductor of electricity, not particularly strong, not useful for any practical or ornamental purposes, and one special magical property. It can be transported over a communication channel without any third party. So gold is mined from the ground. This, this is, yes, the quote is done. Gold is mined from the ground and Bitcoin is mined using computing power. Bitcoin mining is energy intensive, uh, just like uh, gold mining. It requires com computing power, electricity. The other one, might, back then, it might have uh, required physical manpower. 
now it might require machinery. Mm -hmm. um, but the Bitcoin network, it uses massive amounts of energy, but, but this energy is used, used to secure this network by solving complex mathematical problems when miners confirm and process a certain amount of transactions, which is called a block. So they're all, the miners and the node operators are all rewarded newly created Bitcoin or fees from the Bitcoin that's being transacted. And it's proportional to the amount of computing power that they're contributing there for the miners. Um, and this process happens roughly every 10 minutes. And the more people mine Bitcoin, the more secure the Bitcoin network becomes. And um, in addition to miners, there are also people who run these, as we mentioned, these Bitcoin nodes. And the nodes verify transactions on the blockchain, uh, which the miners also do. But unlike the miners, they don't do these really, they don't solve these really complex problems mm -hmm. to uh, help create new Bitcoin, right? And so they're rewarded as well, but the amount is very minuscule. The node operators, it's just really uh, minuscule. So. Uh, each Bitcoin miner and node operator confirm every new transaction and keep a record of every transaction that took place on a public ledger that anyone can view. You can literally search blockchain.com and then search Bitcoin and then you'll find it. Just search Bitcoin blockchain and you'll find it. You can see every single transaction that's ever happened. And this is ensuring that the balance of each person who holds a certain amount of Bitcoin uh, is secure and confirmable. You can trust that. Just like if, when you have a, on your phone, it says Chase Bank you have this much money. Mashallah, you have like $100,000 in your bank, I heard. That's, uh, no. Yeah, so, <laughs> so then, um, at the end of the day, that's a ledger, right? They have yeah. a record. Uh, but you're trusting this one entity. You're mm -hmm. trusting Chase Bank or whoever else they work with yeah. to confirm. And uh, you have to believe them that this is your money and this, they will give you that money. But every now and then, like, of course, there's problems. Like you want to send a transaction. You know, Maybe you're trying to transact on PayPal and they suddenly freeze your <laughs> freeze your account for like security reasons and they're like, oh, we should, you've been transacting a large amount of money, so now okay. we want to just review your account. Yeah. Something like that. On the Bitcoin blockchain, it's just a, it's just a protocol, uh, a series of rules, which is um, con uh, just doing what it's supposed to. So there's yeah. no bias there towards anyone, no matter what it is. Even, and, and that's amazing revolutionary in finance and uh, economics and so this public ledger it's amazing now because if a if someone can says that um, if someone lies and says oh I have this much Bitcoin and I tran I transacted this much it's so amazing is they could be like I transacted a billion dollars in Bitcoin at this time you just go to Bitcoin blockchain did someone try <laughs> did someone do that and you're like hey you lied like, that's not true there was no transaction of a billion dollars at this time frame you can confirm that which is pretty amazing it's even though you, uh, you don't even need to know their name, right? You just need to look for that if, if that was done. And yeah. It wasn't done, right? And so the way you, um, what's really nice is Saifuddin uh, Amos, he, he essentially said that there's different qualities of money that make it, um, as we spoke about last time, there's different qualities of money that make it valuable, like being able to divide it. Like $1, it can become 100 cents have higher denominations as well, $100 as well. So the way, um, and they have all these different properties, but the most important property here is that the supply of the money of the money itself cannot be, shouldn't be able to be increased a lot. And so... It always needs to be scarce. It needs to be scarce relative uh, to... Yeah, it needs to be scarce. And the, thing is, the thing that is best scarce, who also mm -hmm. that also has all these other properties where it's 
easily transferable from one entity to another, uh, where it's um, it makes all these other things really easy, right? Yeah. We had a list here. Let's uh, let me make it quick. Let's see. We said it has to be durable, portable, uh, fungible, meaning each each of them have to be the same as the other. There can't be any difference between them. It has to be saleable. People have to. It yeah. has to be widely accepted. Uh -huh. It has to be verifiable. Like you have to be able to. the criteria. Yeah, you have to be, Yeah, essentially, you have to be to verify it's real, just like those uh, bodegas, right? Where they check, uh, right. or, or they, what did they, they used to buy gold coins, right? I think so. Yeah. Uh, with Bitcoin, you can just run a node and you confirm yeah. uh, mm -hmm. uh, that the transaction happened, that you own this much Bitcoin. You can see the public ledger, and you're like, hey, it's my transaction. It's on the ledger, and it's amazing. I'll show you. You can look at your Coinbase transactions with Phil. We'll search your wallet, and we're like, hey, you transacted this much. Uh, and you'll find it, uh, even though it won't say your name or anything, it'll just uh -huh. say this wallet transacted this much. And so the way you measure scarcity, Saifuddin uh, Amos, what he does is um, he takes the stock of the amount of the, any, whatever it is, it could be silver, Bitcoin, gold, and he divides it by the flow. So the stock is the total amount that exists, right? So mm -hmm. the number he gave us like 200,000 tons of gold or something, right? whatever it is, um, and you divide it by the total amount of gold that's created every year. Mm -hmm. So that could be, um, yeah, maybe like 1,000 tons is created every year. So you divide the stock by the flow and you'd receive, now you receive a number, which is a ratio. And the higher the stock to flow value, yeah. the more scarce that thing is. And so Bitcoin is um, over time because uh, it has a specific supply schedule. We'll show you right. why it's incredibly yeah. valuable and scarce as a asset. Yeah. And that's, it's a really uh, amazing measure that he uses and it led to um, these models that have been very, yeah, very good at predicting the price of Bitcoin and where it's headed. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll dive into that a little later. But essentially, we'll talk about Bitcoin supply schedule, how new Bitcoin is created, uh, how the process works. So. Bitcoin is a protocol, which is a set of rules, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. that um, that decides how uh, everything happens within the Bitcoin network. So the protocol began by creating 50 new Bitcoin per 10 minutes. Every 10 minutes, there's 50 new Bitcoin. This is back in 2009 when it was first created. Yeah. When these people were mining, imagine you were like one of the few people mining, you could you could get 50 Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. like if you were the only guy, only guy mining, first guy, you'd get 50 That's Bitcoin crazy. That is uh, every 10 minutes. If right? you held it, for if you held it, you're, you're a pretty rich guy. Now, um, then after four years, what it does is every four years, the amount of Bitcoin that's being created every ten minutes gets cut in half. Okay. So instead of fifty Bitcoin being created every ten minutes, now it's twenty five Bitcoin that's that are, that's being created every ten minutes, and so the protocol is designed to repeat this process. Uh, make sure that every ten minutes, it's roughly uh, giving that the amount it's it's currently supposed to. And every four years, the amount is going to be halved. And so we had uh, these events, they're called halvings, uh, where each year, the amount of Bitcoin, that's each ten, every 10 minutes, the amount of Bitcoin that's being created is cut in half. And so it happened, uh, the first halving was when, let me see, it was in uh, November 28th, 2012, and then it happened on... 2016. Yeah, and even when it was first created, I think some people consider... So it halved in November of 2020? Nope, and it's not exact... I'll tell you exactly why it's not exact four years. Yeah. Uh, and so there's a second halving uh, on July 9th, 2016. Uh -huh. I remember after the year after that, it was like the boom and bust. Yeah. Right? yeah. Bitcoin went up to 20,000. Yeah. And yeah. then um, recently in May mm -hmm. of uh, 2020, 
it happened. And so during lockdown, during lockdown. And what's amazing is it was so poetic. Like the government decided we're going to print, we're going to print obscene amounts of money. And the Bitcoin network was like, we're going to restrict the amount of money that's being printed in the Bitcoin network. We're going to restrict the amount of Bitcoin that's being created. So the government increased the supply of money exponentially Mm -hmm. and Bitcoin cut the new supply of Bitcoin in half. So it it really, that's what made the price of Bitcoin skyrocket. That's why I was like, you know, after I read this, I was like, I I obviously did my research and I, I, that's why I was like, I'm going to post about this on Facebook. It's going to be fun. (laughs) Because, and a lot of, a lot of people called me conspiracy theorists. They're like, oh, this is, this guy is a scam, whatever. And I was like, yeah, but I'm pretty sure like the facts are on my side here. And I've done my research at I really thought it was crazy. I I called my cousin. I was like, do I sound crazy to you? And he was like, no, no, it it makes sense. Well, yeah. uh, Alhamdulillah, I I can, I tried to convince as many people as possible to buy Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Um, And this was back This isn't financial advice, by the way. Not financial advice. I I never (laughs) tell, subhanAllah, I shouldn't even say that. I couldn't, I I convinced, but but I indirectly, uh, it's totally financial, but I indirectly told a lot of people. Your main purpose is to educate. Yeah, so I, my, I was like, yeah, I could tell someone to buy a Bitcoin, but they won't really understand what it is or have the conviction to hold on to it as it goes up and down. So it's better for me to uh, create a presentation like I did. It's better for me to publish articles weekly. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's better for me to hold uh, seminars about this, have conversations with friends who will likely, uh, who will likely, um, who may be convinced by it, or they'll also go ahead and tell others about it. And I was like, I want the Muslim community to really benefit from this. Um, And hundreds of thousands of dollars were invested into Bitcoin. Uh, And I was, I got, I got way better, like way better uh, um, reaction than I thought I would. And one, like so many friends called me like, yeah, uh, I read your presentation. I'm going to go ahead and invest $30,000. One friend called me and said that. Another one was like, another one, I didn't even know he was this wealthy. He was like, he was like, cause, and the only reason I know how much money he has is because, uh, <laughs> the only reason I know how much money he's ha- he has is because he said something ridiculous because, um, so there's like a certain amount of money that you're allowed to transfer to your uh, exchange accounts. And he was like, it's going to take me this much, this many days to transfer all my money. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, why would he take you? And I was like, oh, this, this, this dude is so rich. This dude is so rich that it would take him like a week or two. Yeah. To, and I was like, it was like a quarter million dollars. And I was like, subhanAllah. Can you imagine the zakat on that? that? That's what, well, I did imagine. I was like, yeah. I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get as much zakat paid on yeah. this as possible. Um, and so, like, I started really, like, obsessively studying this yeah. when I was around 7,000. And I was like, go, like, look, look at this, research this, read this book, read the Bitcoin standard, read the price of tomorrow by zakat. Zakat would have to be paid on what the asset is currently yeah. Value that, not how much you put in. Exactly. So, so uh, that would be insane. So right now I'm estimating like there's any, well, this is based on people who have told me. Right. Just anywhere from 1.3 million to 2 million from like people who, have, who, who are convinced yeah. by uh, things like these billionaires become Muslim and they get into yeah. Bitcoin. Yeah. So how like billions in Zakat right there. Yeah, it's amazing. And so for every million dollars, that's $25,000 in yeah. Zakat. And zakat, let's, let's be honest, like zakat is not charity, right? Zakat is, yeah. it's obligatory, and yeah. charity has to be voluntary. So, inshallah, like, they'll donate more. Yeah, of course. Uh, they'll, they'll donate you more than 25%. Yeah. yeah, and inshallah, like, I want people to be, like, I want this to be a means of, um, like, saying, like, subhanAllah, this is a blessing from Allah. Mm-hmm. Yes, it can, 
like the money can just amplify what that individual is. It's not gonna, it doesn't have to change them if they're, um, I don't know, if they have taqwa, they'll yeah. be like, I've, I have way more than I actually need. I'm gonna go ahead and donate to Muslim Sealing Back. I'm gonna donate to Charity Week. Uh, I'm gonna make some amazing things happen. Maybe I'll just do projects in the community myself. Right. I want that. Like, I want it to, uh, I want it, you shouldn't disconnect those things. Like, it's at the end of the day, wealth it can be a blessing and a trial. Right. And I want it, this to be a blessing for everyone. I want them to, and the way we'll know is by how, how they use that wealth. Do they help people with it or not? Mm. That's what I'm really excited for. Um, inshallah, like in a year, Charity Week is going to be, it's going to be fun next year. Even though we're all alum, well, you're not alumni anymore. You're right? not alumni, yeah. bro. Yeah, I'm, I'm alumni, but we'll see it. Inshallah, we'll see what happens. Charity Week. Um, but essentially, the, going back to the protocol and the supply schedule, mm-hmm. So until the year 2140, uh, it'll keep having the, obviously it's going to go, it went from 50, 25, 12.5, and now it's at like a 6.25 mm-hmm. per uh, every 10 minutes. So eventually it's going to keep having until like the amount that's been created is like zero. It's not anything, right? Okay. And so it's the year 2140. So Satoshi also included, this is the hard part that I took me a while to understand. Satoshi also included within the protocol these rules called the difficulty adjustment. The difficulty adjustment. So within the protocol, to make sure that uh, no matter how much more effort is put into mining, the the same amount of Bitcoin is created no matter what. Okay. He um he created a system, and so let me explain. When when people are um, and the way that the system works is it's looking at the rate of growth of the computing power within the two week period. Right. So every two weeks the Bitcoin network adjusts the difficulty of how hard it is to mine. And so, for example, if um, this week, 10% uh, more Bitcoin were being created than what we're supposed to do every 10 minutes, right? It'll become harder. Then the next week, it's okay. gonna become 10% more difficult. So that will adjust backwards. But we'll, we'll look at, a, I'll, I'll make a, let's make an analogy. So the equivalence of the Bitcoin uh, having is, imagine you had a world, um, so the Bitcoin having it, which uh, reduces the supply of uh, Bitcoin, is like a world where every four years, only half as much gold is found when people mine. Mm-hmm. And the equivalence of the two-week difficulty adjustment, which happens every two weeks, right, uh, is imagine a world where um, the more you try to mine gold, right, imagine if this was gold, the more you try to mine gold, the harder it becomes, and the less you try to mine gold, the easier it becomes. Mm-hmm. And so... Though that protocol is adjusting itself uh, constantly to make sure that a certain amount of Bitcoin is being created. It averages out uh, right now 6.25 every 10 minutes, right? Over long periods of time, that's the average. And um, the way they have to do this is simple. Uh, these computers at the end of the day solving difficult problems, but they're trying to guess a number. So imagine I told uh, you and uh, Rashad over there, we asked him um, to guess a number from one to 10. If you did that, so you, you go ahead and try and maybe you got it within like five seconds. You, you guys saw the numbers or maybe just could count from one to ten. Yeah. And you got the number. So now imagine you did this a bunch of times. Then you'll have an idea. On average, when, you ha- when you're told to guess the number from one to ten, this is how much time it takes, right? So now imagine that uh, you were told to guess a number um, between one and a thousand. It takes a lot more time, a lot more time right? Yeah. And if you did uh, that, that guess between one and a thousand, hundreds of thousands of times. Now you have average time that it takes for you to guess that number. So what they do, these computer networks, is 
if they mined more Bitcoin than they were supposed to? Well, instead of guessing a number between one and a billion, we'll guess a number between one and uh, between one and two billion. Okay. Now that becomes uh, much more difficult, right? And so they're constantly okay. adjusting it. Like, just imagine uh, we did it. Like going back to our experiment, you had to guess a number one through ten, mm-hmm. over and over again. And it took you. I was like, damn it. Uh, he's so smart. It's just to take him ten minutes. It's he's only uh, or not one through hundred. Let's say you're guessing at whatever one through a thousand. It's supposed to take you ten minutes for on average, but you're you're doing it in seven minutes. You're just you're just reading my brain somehow. I don't know, bro. Uh, magic. Slept for a while. Alright, but uh, essentially now what I can do is I can make the number you're trying to guess between uh, a little harder so that yeah. it averages out to ten minutes. So that's what the Bitcoin network is essentially okay. doing. Okay. It increases the difficulty uh, adjustment to make sure that the miners. Um, and what's cool is when you do this, if you increase the difficulty, then it becomes more expensive for you to mine Bitcoin. So then what happens is the people mm-hmm. who have the cheapest electricity, who are at the end of the day, like they're probably the ones who are mining the most Bitcoin because they have the cheapest electricity. Um, they're the ones who will end up uh, profiting uh, more because the other guys, because it became so difficult to mine and it became more expensive, they have to tr- turn off their machines. They're like, it's no longer profitable. But Bitcoin incentivizes the people who um, have the lowest cost of electricity to mine by doing this. Yeah, so that's, that's a mouthful. Let's see. As the difficulty of mining is increased because maybe more of what was mined the previous week than was supposed to be or the previous yeah. two-week period, um, now what they've done is they've increased the difficulty and so when you've increased the difficulty the computing power that you need um, you still have the same computer with the same uh, chips that have the same amount of computing power but the problem itself is more difficult so now it's taking you longer to solve the same problem that gotcha. you're taking a week later and these aren't regular computers this is no, like whole factories they're like a, of they, machines they cost a lot of money you could buy yeah. individual ones they're called ASIC miners and there's all these other companies uh-huh. as well that have them um, but they can, they can cost thousands of dollars. Like some of them. Yeah, the electricity up. as well. It costs thousands of dollars. And it depends. Like uh, in New York City, electricity is more expensive than if you go to China or if you go yeah. to Washington State. There's a lot of uh, hydroelectric power there. It's very cheap. Yeah. So there's a lot of Bitcoin mining going on there. There's uh, in the Sichuan Valleys in China. There's a lot of Bitcoin mining going on there as well because they use the hydroelectric power there. Um, so people are using solar panels, right? Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's. What's amazing is 70% of all Bitcoin mining is done through green energy. That's dope. So, like the New York Times, like they publish articles, oh my god, like Bitcoin's boiling the oceans. Like, but is it? Like, it's, if anything, it's creating this huge incentive for people to create uh, green because energy. Because green energy is cheaper and more sustainable. Cheaper, it's yeah. more predictable. At the end of the day, you, you know how much sunlight you're getting. As well, like, yeah. Like something like solar power, the panels. Yeah. And you have batteries, if you have batteries yeah. already stored. But even hydroelectric power is very. Uh, yes, it's cyclical sometimes, like maybe you might have more water coming at certain parts of the, but it's very predictable. Is right. it predictable what the price of oil will be? Last year, the price of oil went to negative 40. Like no one, I, I had no clue even how that even worked. How does that Yeah. They use these complex like um, financial <laughs> instruments and they somehow okay. got, it, they paid for some people to even take oil at one point. It was, yeah. They were storing them in, um, no one, there's no demand for oil, so they literally have to store them in tankers and pay hundreds of thousands of dollars every day to store them there. Yeah, it was the strangest thing ever. I, I didn't even know that was possible. And so, what's amazing here is because of this, mm-hmm. think about this. Is there anything in the world whose supply is constant? Like, imagine if you want to buy, if there's a huge demand for iPhones, what happens? They, they'll make more, right? Yeah. So 
substitution man for candy or uh, the local saw or whatever, they'll make more saw. Like, what is there in the world that no matter how much the demand is, there's no more of what there's time? Yeah. What else is there? Price of it increases enough, like they'll they'll create more of it, right? Um, like if you're saying if if the, like give an example of where the demand, like if there's more demand, there's actually less supply. Like there's an not less supply. The supply just stays the same. Like there's yeah, not same. there's no bias. Like oh, okay. because I can make more money, there's more demand. I'm not I, gonna, I'm yeah, not gonna, I can't think of it. Even for like luxury brands, like they'll just make knockoffs. Yeah. Does not does that yeah, not count yeah. as like supply as well? That still meets right. the same demand, right? Yeah. Like some dude wants a little bit of but he doesn't want uh, to pay the price well it looks the same we'll just buy a knockoff brand that's still meeting that existing demand so okay what i what i came to realize is uh, bitcoin supply is the most perfect constant economic certainty that exists in the world there's nothing else economically no good or service or commodity um whose supply is perfectly constant and it it, it it um, follows a specific schedule, the having schedule, the Bitcoin protocol rules. There's nothing in the world that is like that. So now you have the demand side. We don't know. What is the demand for Bitcoin? We don't know. Maybe there's a lot of demand for Bitcoin next year. Maybe there is less. But at the end of the day, the supply is constant. Like We just know the supply schedule is going to be constant. No one's going to change that, no matter what. It doesn't matter if I hate Bitcoin, the world doesn't want Bitcoin, or I really want Bitcoin. At the end of the day, the same amount will be created. And that's a very important idea because... In economics, you have supply and demand, and uh, that can really uh, usually that those shift right when there's more supply. There's uh, the demand can uh, lessen right relative yeah. to it, mm-hmm. um, and so many other things, right? So it's pretty amazing that you have something like this, and it, because of that, it becomes incredibly valuable. So to give you an idea, um, this is the bitcoins and yeah. So I. Here in front of you, like what I'm trying to show, because essentially Bitcoin's inflation network, inflation rate, just keeps having every year. The inflation rate, as measured in terms of um, the amount of Bitcoin that's being created, if we consider Bitcoin's inflation rate just the amount of new Bitcoin that's being created, we know every four years it's just being halved. So eventually, the inflation rate just starts off at 100 percent, right? Because there's no Bitcoin, yeah. Someone, someone's created, it's 100 percent inflation at that moment. But now, over time, it just keeps decreasing, decreasing, decreasing until it's just a straight line, and now it's 21 million. So there's no You've destroyed inflation from the Bitcoin uh, economy or Bitcoin network. Okay. Whereas, um, yeah, and so it's pretty amazing that you have something like that. You don't have any other currency like that. Even gold, you can increase the supply of. And gold, you can actually increase the supply of artificially, right? Mm-hmm. And so even if I don't have gold, I can sell you gold. Do you know how that works? How? Yeah, so a few ways. First, I can be like the US uh, in 1971, I can sell you, I can issue more dollars, which are at the end of the day, they were, those are IOUs, right? Like those are promises. Prom- uh, that's a promissory note that you're going to get this much gold if you go to the bank. Yeah. Well, if I issue more um, dollars, even though I don't have gold, I've met the demand for, I met the demand for that gold. Okay. Similarly, I can um, sell this product called paper gold, which is done in uh, financial markets today, where they're selling where they're selling gold that they don't own. Mm-hmm. It's so strange. I, I it's so complicated. I, I, I haven't I haven't even fully like, grasped how how the hell this works. Like, 
but there's essentially giving you paper gold. It's not actual gold. Yeah. You just have a promise that, oh, this is going to, as the price of gold increases, this will actually increase. But you've, if anything, you've diluted uh, the supply of gold, even though you didn't create or mine more gold, which is uh, it's dishonest at the end of the day. And that's what's happening with gold. But with Bitcoin, you don't really have that issue. Um, and so, yeah, so now we're going to talk about Bitcoin and Moore's Law. Uh, I'm going to try to simplify this. So, mm-hmm. Satoshi has this beautiful quote. He says, the price of any commodity tends to gravitate towards the production cost. And so Satoshi essentially makes this prediction early on that whatever the total cost of producing one Bitcoin is, that's roughly around how much um, the price of Bitcoin will be. So right now. But it's not it's not an exact science. It'll, okay. Because you need to. Is that, uh, is that roughly accurate though? Yes. Like, so okay. there's this guy, his name's Charles Edwards. Mm-hmm. He, um, he published a Medium article where he calculated Bitcoin's production costs and, yeah. and created a live chart that looks at it. And he did like all this physics and I was reading this and I was like, so kind of like, I was, I took physics of calculus and I was like, when will I ever need this? And I was like, damn, I, I need to look at my notes and even basic uh, equations that I looked at before. I'm like, I'm so stupid. I was like, I would never need this, but here, here is like this guy using physics to calculate the production costs of Bitcoin. And he also has another model which looks at the energy value of Bitcoin, which looks at the total energy um, uh, required to create Bitcoin, I think. Um, and so they're both models that predict where the price of Bitcoin should be, and it's very accurate, surprisingly very accurate. It gives you a range. It says the production cost of Bitcoin is, because you don't know exactly what it costs, because everyone has different costs in mining and stuff. And so he gives a range of, it could be anywhere from this price to this price, and it, it's been trading between those ranges. And it's amazing how accurate that's been. And Satoshi, Back in 2009, who the hell was this guy? Like, he's a computer science genius. Economics, he understands, and he also made this huge prediction, which really played out beautifully. Uh, and so, what I'm gonna talk about right now is Moore's Law. Moore's Law is uh, very much connected to this. Uh, Moore's Law is the observation that the number of transistors or uh, that are in a circuit double every two years or 18 months. And so what essentially uh, that means is the computing power of these chips double roughly every 18 months or two years. So because of, because of these chips that exist, and we've seen the benefit of this in many things, like over time, like our phone can do many more things than before, like the storage for your, uh, uh, the storage things, or what are they called, SD cards and stuff? Yeah. Like they become so small, but now like one of them is like one terabyte or something. You're like, it's not like, it stores all this data, it's so small compared to before it was like, these huge floppy disks and stuff. Yeah. Um, so that's Moore's law, essentially. But um, it essentially what happened is Bitcoin created this direct monis- monetary incentive for those who have access to these chips, right? Uh, and the, who have access to those chips and the, and the cheapest electricity to go ahead and mine Bitcoin, right? So if, you're, if you have access to these, mi- they make these miners and they use the best chips, uh, the most advanced, computer chips possible because they want to compute and solve those complex problems, right? Mm-hmm. For as low of a cost as possible. So now you've created an incentive where whatever, wherever Moore's law is, like uh, the most advanced chips combined with those who have access to cheap electricity, there's a huge monetary incentive. You'll make, right now I think the cost of, uh, there's a weird number, the, co- the cost of producing a uh, Bitcoin is half of what it, um, 
because it, it rose so quickly and it times it takes time for the more people to join to mine Bitcoin. Yeah. But because it rose so quickly recently, um, at one point when it was at forty thousand, I think uh, the price of producing a Bitcoin was like one third of what the price of Bitcoin itself was. So you made huge profit uh, doing if you were mining. If you're mining, oh, miners okay. make so much money, and especially if you have uh, cheap electricity, obviously. Yeah. And so you've created now because of Moore's law, you've created incentive for those who have the most advanced computer chips um, to go ahead and spend money, or if you, even if there isn't, you create this huge demand for those machines that do that, mm-hmm. and those people want to go ahead and use use those machines to mine Bitcoin because they'll be paid um, they'll be paid by the Bitcoin network mm-hmm. and they'll be paid by the uh, transaction fees that are paid by the users. Like yes. you and I who transact, and so because of that, Moore's law and uh, Bitcoin have become locked to each other. Now, because of that, that's why people say Bitcoin is the most secure computer network in the world. Like when I when I realized that, I was like, wow, Subhanallah, like this is amazing. What a what an amazing thing this is. Uh, and just like Satoshi predicted, uh, this person, by the way, Charles Edward, who uh, I consider him one of the smartest people I know in this community. Uh, you know the person. Bro, I, yeah, so I, I met him on Twitter. I read his, okay. uh, I read his uh, articles on Medium. I was like, wow, this is amazing. Uh-huh. Uh, I messaged him on Twitter, and I asked him a bunch of questions. And he's so humble that he answered all his questions. I'm like this kid who understands nothing. Oh, and wow. he, he is this guy who, um, he, doesn't, he didn't have a huge following or anything, uh-huh. but... Um, it's like that time you emailed Noam Chomsky to convert Yeah, so I, I emailed Noam Chomsky about the Uyghurs. <laughs> I was like, uh, you know, what can we do about the Uyghurs? It's, yeah. so, it's so terrible what's happening to them. <laughs> uh, and I was like, no one responded out like a few hours later. Yeah. I was like, okay. I was like, I did not expect him to respond that quickly. Um, and this is his MIT email that you can find publicly. And so then um, he gave me like a bunch of nasiha, right? He was like, yeah, you should, you should be doing, uh, you, should, you shouldn't really let, let it get to you like that. You need to be consistent in your efforts of helping. And at the end of the day, like, yeah. this is what you're trying to do. And he had a similar experience because he, he really tried to speak out for Palestinians. Um, and he was very vocal about what the what Israel and Jewish, a lot of, not, yeah. it's not necessarily Jewish community, but a lot of the lobbies within America were doing. But surprisingly, like, uh, he, even though he was a part, active part of the Jewish community growing up, uh, he wrote a book and he spoke about this. But anyway, I was so surprised by all this. We're going off a tangent, but. It's fine. And so then I was like, um, I want to give this guy knowledge. I read about, um, in, I think in, in his book, Faithful Triangle, or a lecture, I, I read that when he was young, he was deciding between studying Arabic and linguistics. Talking about Noam, right? Noam Chomsky, okay, yes. Yeah, yeah. One of the most influential people in the world in politics, right? And lingu- linguistics. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I was like, so how about, what if he read, well, what if he studied Arabic? At one point, he would have come across the Quran. He would have had to read it as a piece of literature at, and his secular studies. Well, not, forget literature. The Quran is literally like all of Arabic grammar, yeah. as we know it, is based off the Quran. Yeah, so like he would have come across this. I was like, I was like, no, like uh, you're a linguist. So here's a book about uh, linguistic miracles of the Quran. <laughs> I was like, here's a book talking about the linguistic miracles of the Quran. Uh, here's um, and here's a translation of the Quran. I hope you take the time to read it. And he responded. He was like, you know. I have a very long reading list, but you know, one day hopefully I'll get to it. And I don't know if he will, but he's a, he's like what ninety something years old, very inshallah, old. Inshallah, yeah, inshallah, yeah. he does, and I'm hopeful. But he's a, he's a nice guy, bro. Um, that he was willing to yeah. do that. 
uh, obviously like, we don't agree like not everyone agrees with all his political views but yeah he's uh i think he's lived a very honest life and he's a very honest guy so i want to give him that one but similarly uh no charles wasn't very known well known he had like what eight thousand followers when i found him on twitter he's an economist or no um oh you hate economists right i no, i don't hate economists <laughs> I, I just hate um yeah i heard sir i hate I wouldn't even say I dislike certain types of economists who feel like that printing doesn't have any consequences in the economy. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, like if you use their models to predict what's happening in the economy, you would get you lose all your money essentially. Yeah. Right. You wouldn't have done well at all. But yeah, um, Charles Edwards. No, yeah, no, not Charles Edwards. Charles Edwards himself isn't like that. You were talking about economists, that's why. Yeah, yeah, okay. But Charles Edwards, um He's a good guy. Great guy, Mashallah. Okay. And uh, what what did he do before this? I think he was like <laughs> yeah. an analyst or something. Uh, and he, uh, last year he decided to quit his job and just mm-hmm. to start managing money. And he created this algorithm that trades Bitcoin. The computer, it's, it's the algorithm that, uh, he has a set number of rules and it decides uh, to buy Bitcoin certain times to sell at certain times, etc. And, okay. um, it's going to sound ridiculous, right? But he, it's on his site. So you'll, if you'll see it's true. He took his returns for Bitcoin were. He, he, not for Bitcoin, his returns for his clients, and it was through Bitcoin, trading Bitcoin, obviously, but I don't recommend trading. He's, got, he's a genius. I just buy and hold. But he took, his returns were 50 times within two years. Like 50 times? 50 times within two years. So when I, when I, was, like, I was like, no way this is real. I, I thought this was so crazy that 50, 50 times within two years. This, this, this is what Bitcoin trading side is. What does that mean? Like, this is from like 2018 to like uh, 2020. Uh-huh. Bitcoin is just going up and down. It's not right, right, yeah. Anyway, yeah. I thought, yeah, I thought okay. there was no having that yeah, uh, caused yeah, yeah. rally. So I was like, I read this and I was like, subhanAllah. And so the way he does it is because uh, he had, as, as Muslims, we're not to short things, right? Okay, but okay, gotcha. It goes up, he rides it up, and he doesn't yeah. use any leverage. That's the crazy part. He doesn't use any leverage, which would mean um, to, like, um, to use that uh, as an instrument to increase your returns. So if you had two times leverage, for example, and it went up 10%, your returns would be 20%. Okay, so he doesn't use any leverage. This is without leverage. So when I read this, I was like, like subhanAllah, what the, what the hell is this? Like, I've never read anything about this in traditional finance books. How the hell did he do this? So I messaged another guy who um, runs the Investors Podcast. His name is Preston Fish. And I was like, is this real? Like, do you believe this? And he was like, yeah, I believe it. I just have no clue how the hell he's doing it. And I was like, subhanAllah, like, yeah, I have no clue either. He's just he's just a really smart guy. And he's incredibly kind oh too. Um and the way he does it is because he takes short positions when he thinks it's about to fall, and he profits on the way down, and then he buys it and he goes right, rides it back up, and he takes a lot of these positions. And it's not even, it's like it's not that many. It's like I think maybe two or three or four uh, every month. And yet it's, he does it very well, and he he obviously created a lot of these metrics. Yes, yeah, yeah, sure. I use a lot of his research to uh, yeah. like. Subhanallah, like uh, this is this is so un- this is such an unhealthy story, but he has this thing called the hash ribbon indicator which predicts when Bitcoin has reached a floor price, right? Okay. So when the hash rate indicator goes off, it, it's very complicated how it works. Uh, it took me months and months of trying to figure out just one article, which was like not a very long read either. And a lot of questions that me think were, uh, right now they sound like stupid questions, but I needed to ask those questions. Everyone starts somewhere, right? So the hash rate indicator predicts when Bitcoin has reached the bottom price, even though it doesn't, it hasn't fallen. Sometimes there's an event with miners that influence the price. Yeah. And um, the miners don't sell any of their Bitcoin anymore, so it restricts the supply. And so when Bit- so Bitcoin went up and hit 20K and it came back to 16.3 once, and then it went back up again, I think, and 
at 4 a.m. I was I was up right, so it hit 19.4 k, and Bitcoin hash ribbon indicator, which is uh, a live indicator that you can look at. He made it completely free, by the way. He didn't even charge any money for any of this stuff. He made everything free, all his research. Wow. It went off like the, that same week, but obviously we were waiting for it. And so then uh, he posted something on Twitter, but I, I, I was already following what was happening. I was like, I already knew it was very likely. So that's why the three days before I posted my Facebook, I was like, you know, if you don't believe in Bitcoin, good, because you're going to love what happens next. Like, I love these doubters because at the end of the day, I'm pretty confident in my research. So I was like, you know, you don't, if you don't believe in Bitcoin, you're going to love what happens next. And then three days later at 4 a.m., it hit 19.4, when it hit 19.4K, yeah. even though it had done it prior as well, but this time it was different. This time we had done, we had the hash ribbon indicator, which had gone off. And this time we had all these other uh, on-chain data, which is another metric that uses Edge. I don't want to get into it, so. but which you can look into uh, later. I can, I can provide resources. But at 4 a.m., me and a friend of mine, Jipu, uh, Jipu, I don't know how much you did, but I emptied my bank. Somehow I put every cent into it at 19.4. The syndicate and I, you I put was, 200,000. I didn't say that. No, I didn't say that. I, didn't say that. <laughs> I emptied my bank. Um, I had like, I, and I emptied my bank and I, I uh, subhanAllah, I, yeah. And then within two hours, it broke past $20,000. Uh-huh. And it just kept going all the way to 40,000. Like it, it didn't have much of an interruption. It just yeah. went all the way to 40,000. Because right. of the hash, that was because of the hash ribbon indicator. Um, it was and it was amazing like seeing that and it's such a good feeling obsessively studying something and working really hard on something mm-hmm. and for me it was I didn't even create it or anything but for me just even understanding was very difficult trying to write write about it or explain this to my friends who work in Wall Street it's very difficult and yeah I was obviously I was salty when a lot of them dismissed anything I was saying but I only like seeing it um, work out and seeing that me spending all this time was actually worth it yeah it's very fulfilling and for me even more than that what's more fulfilling is that I was like I was able to convince so many people to buy Bitcoin through the three of the things I wrote so Not it's great convince, educate educate yeah but yeah, I think, yeah, I, yeah I don't think um, because Bitcoin is a commodity I don't think it's uh, it's actually um legal yeah illegal to say like buy Bitcoin but obviously I wouldn't do that because it's yeah, not nonetheless you should you should do your research yeah, yeah if you, you could you can still um you wouldn't have the conviction needed and you would have so much stress buying such a yeah, volatile asset. Yeah, I don't want you to stress about it. I want you to understand what you it is. You can lead to panic selling, you can lead to <laughs> doubt, you can lead to a lot of resentment to the people that, yeah, it's, you know. And all the like that's, that's why like um, publicly I yeah. decided to like just say, this is what I've written. Money at the end of the day is really yeah. emotional. I, I didn't even celebrate my birthday, but I was like, um, on my birthday, I was like, you know, this is good. At the end of the day, this would be, it's this is back when Bitcoin's around, like, it was much, yeah, it was much lower than what it is now. But I was like, you know, yeah, for my birthday, Bitcoin. no, for, no, and I said, for my birthday, all I want is for you to read my presentation on Bitcoin. Uh-huh. You remember when I was, did you see the post? When was your birthday? This was in December 18th. December, right? Yeah, this was uh, way before, this was way before 20K, yeah. I think I saw it, yeah. So I was just like, that's all I want you to do. And I feel like, those, any, anyone those, who did that. Those last two weeks of December, I was watching it, I was just like, oh. So, uh, oh yeah, wow. and the thing is, anyone who had done that, um, well, recently when I was at forty thousand, they doubled their money. But now, obviously, yeah. it's uh, oh, bro. All of December, I was just focusing on finals. So I was like, "Damn, Bitcoin can wait." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I like to do my research. I to like I want to read everything before I put money in. So I 
there's a lot of Yeah, you like should. That. You should. At the yeah. day, bro, I say this all the time. So I have a friend, Matthew Rodriguez. Uh, shout out to Matthew. I tell him this all the time, like, cause he he felt like he had gotten in late. It was around like sixteen thousand or fifteen. Bro, that was not late. I know, but at the time he felt like it was really late, yeah. right? But what I told him is, at the end of the day, the people who are going to spend a lot of time understanding Bitcoin, macroeconomics, and all these other yeah. topics we, we, we mentioned, and all these other topics that Bitcoin touches on, they're going to end up making a lot more money. And he's like, why? Well, they're going to have a lot more conviction in what it is. They're going to they're gonna have, they're gonna understand better oh, what yeah, it's worth. <laughs> yeah, but I don't want to use that word, but at the end of the day, like, uh, they're going to have a better Bitcoin they're going to have a better idea of what it's worth. And I personally think it's worth a lot more than what it's at right now. And Gosh, you'll see that in, until the next year. Speaking of, sorry, I didn't want yeah, to cut yeah. you off, but we actually had this interesting conversation right before uh, we started. Of how a lot of people are actually taking Bitcoin as a religion. Like, yeah. basically. I, yeah, I don't think it's good. Because there's some people, <laughs> like, okay, there's a really funny meme. Bro, Bitcoin, so Bitcoin thrives on uh, meme culture. Uh, it's yeah, it's a bunch of internet. It's a bunch of internet people. It's a bunch of internet people, and so. Wall Street is starting to embrace a lot of these memes as well. And what's amazing is, one of my friends was like, you know, I can't like. Well, he said essentially, Twitter is where all the dumb people are who are investing in Bitcoin, or whatever. But then it was the funniest thing ever. I, I look at the research report by Ark Invest, which is one of a very large uh, research. Uh, like they also manage a large amounts of uh, money, and they have all these uh, things called ETFs and stuff. And they're one of the few uh, companies that predicted what would happen to Tesla. Yeah. Uh, and they predict they also had went very big on Bitcoin as well. I would look at the research report, and everyone thinks they're well. They they are geniuses, right? Yeah. Uh, now that they've been able to successfully do so many amazing predictions, make so many amazing predictions accurate, and their returns show it. But anyway, I look at the research report, and it cites sources, and I'm like, what the hell is this? It's a Twitter tweet. They're they're citing tweets. They're like this this dude. Like it's literally some dude who's like a huge Tesla <laughs> fanboy. Is, um, they're 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 citing him as a source, and I was like, wow, this is this is amazing. And so, we um, I forgot the point before. Bitcoin is religion. Yeah, so Bitcoin is a religion. It's um, it's, it's wow, it's really bad. Like, they it really upset me, bro. There was one they had a picture of the Kaaba Telling you, yeah, and yeah, they put they put Bitcoin in the middle. I was like. I unfollowed that dude and I was like, I hate you. <laughs> I don't hate him, but yeah. I, was, I was very upset, obviously. And the thing is, obviously, a lot of these people, um, yeah, there's another guy with his name. Um, maybe I shouldn't mention his name, but mm-hmm. if, you, if you search Respect the Pump, you'll you find him. Mm-hmm. But he's a guy with a large YouTube following, YouTuber. And he, um, I don't I don't touch any altcoins. I can stay away from, I generally tend to stay away from uh, altcoins. Uh, to find altcoins. Alternative to Bitcoin. It's literally the name, which is so funny because they want to be something more than Bitcoin. Right. But even their their, their name is their so categorized. Anything not Bitcoin. Within, is in, an within the digital asset community, like um, when you include like Ethereum, that's Bitcoin an Cash. Anything yeah. besides Bitcoin is an altcoin. Well, it's considered an altcoin, but yeah. So I I I'm gonna use this word, but it's literally the proper like term that Bitcoiners use. They don't ever call it an altcoin. A lot of them. But most of them in the Twitter community and in the internet community, they just call them. Yeah, you, you can have to blur size. They call them shit coins, right? They call okay. them shit coins. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to blur it. They essentially call them shit coins. <laughs> it's funny. Okay, okay. Um, and so this guy, uh, I, forget, I, I, I forget his name, but if you search respect, is that kind of as a curse? It's whatever. It's whatever. Right, it's 
they call it. So essentially, he had this video where he he apparently like, people paid for him to say this. He was like, if these altcoins are going up and if they're pumping, right, the price is going up. You have to respect the pump, and he's like, you know, the pump is like a force. The pump is like a force in nature. You don't fight the pump, and if you don't accept the pump into your life, then <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, wait, he's talking about this seriously, like a religion, yeah. And I was like, wow, so huh, this must be what 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 it looks like to yeah to like worship money. Yeah, he's like, you have to respect the pump, no matter where the yeah. pump is. Don't reject the pump from your life. Like yeah. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? And everyone memed him a lot. And at the end of the day, I think like um, even how passionate you are talking about it, you understand uh, that money is a tool. Yeah. Not not really the end goal that you can yeah. use for some people. It's like that, for example. Like so many people can benefit off that, and if your intention is for benefit for for the sake of Allah, you know, somehow benefiting humanity and, and yeah. trying to make there's lives better it's it's a consequence of like yeah. these people not like they're like very secular in nature not having religion or anything right materialistic but, yeah ma- not necessarily materialistic but because they've bitcoin is like uh this huge community so their first time being in part of a global community right so mm-hmm. they see it and they're like completely accept it and um yeah i i respect this community i, I love them i think they're great but you know there's individuals who mm-hmm. treat bitcoin like religion which is really harmful because at the end of the day, uh, it's a it's a sure it's, it's a great cause. Yeah, it's going it's it's trying to solve so many problems within the world. Yeah. Uh, that at the end, a lot of these even a lot of these political and social unrests at the end of the day, uh, economic problems. People are yeah. financially unstable. Like I, I always make this point. Like whether it's Republicans or Democrats, like at the, end, the fundamental level, like these people are angry about similar things. Mm. They're they're having difficulty, like they have financial instability, they have uh, uh, food insecurity, they have uh, job insecurity, and all these other problems. And yeah. sure, they can have theories, oh, it's the Republicans that are spending this much money or doing this, they're giving it all to corporations. Oh, it's the liberals, they're printing away money and they're not being conservative, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. If they're just spending on this, at the end of the day, like, those problems are actually caused by the money printing. It's caused by, because money printing increases uh, income inequality. It debases the dollars which people hold, and who's holding the dollars? It's the bottom fifty percent of Americans. Who's holding all the assets? It's the top. The top, yeah. the top fifty percent. But even then, within the top, the middle class is disappearing because there's like the top ten percent or one percent are like holding the majority of those assets. Yeah. Like in I the mean, Bitcoin, like with the whales. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think you were gonna get to that. So with, um, with Bitcoin, yeah, you, what's happening is it started like, off. Is, should it like? Don't you think the yeah. same thing is going to happen? So it's amazing is because it's a public ledger, we can see how many Bitcoins stored in these wallets and how much is being moved right. from one place to another. So you can actually see the live data for this, and you can't deny it, right? You, it's literally the data as it is on the Bitcoin ledger, yeah. and we, as we mentioned, the Bitcoin ledger is this unchangeable, verifiably truthful thing. And in so so even with these whales, yeah. Um, so whales are just, I think, uh, they own 10,000 Bitcoin or more. Right. Or it could be one, there's smaller whales who own like 1,000 Bitcoin yeah. or more. Um, and so, something like 2% of uh, who are whales, yeah. they own like 95%. I, I don't think it's 2%, uh, or something only 95%, like but it is, it is, it is. It's um, a very small number. Yeah, right? so what's, what I like, the, what, the trend that I'm seeing here is polar opposites. With money, mm-hmm. over time it's becoming more concentrated. With Bitcoin, what we're actually seeing is um, 
the number of whales who are holding 10,000 Bitcoin or more in their wallets is decreasing, but the number of whales who are holding 1,000 Bitcoin more is increasing. So you're seeing, and what's happening here is you have so the growth of an upper middle class. <laughs> you're having, yeah. Some, actually, that's but you have to understand 1,000 Bitcoin. Those 1,000 Bitcoin uh, holders, a lot of them are institutions right now because a lot of institutions true, are coming true, into true. Bitcoin. And at the end of the day, who owns the institutions? It's uh, more distributed because all the, all the shareholders own them, right? Okay. So it's not like one entity. But what's surprising enough, like in, these institutions are buying from mm. probably people who are single like entities who, are, who have large amounts of Bitcoin. Whales, literally individuals who have huge amounts of Bitcoin. And so now you're seeing it move on to, uh, you're seeing it just more, becoming more distributed over time. It's the trend is opposite as what you're seeing in um, as what you're seeing in the economy with U.S. dollars and just the wealth in general, not just U.S. dollars, but like who holds all the assets. It's gotcha. the opposite with Bitcoin. It was already concentrated when it started off because just nature of it, right? It's not like you could have started off with the whole entire world knowing how to use Bitcoin without yeah. any of this. But now it's become distributed over time, and is it going to become very distributed, or are single entities going to end up owning a lot of Bitcoin? That's I don't know. We'll see. I, that's why for me it's like such a big deal. Like, I don't want people to buy Bitcoin and make a quick buck, mm. and then say like, "Yeah, I'm selling. I made a fifty percent profit, or I doubled my money, whatever." Is you want them to model it? I want them to hold it long term. I want them to understand what I what I think. Yeah. What I think is true, that Bitcoin is going to become very valuable in the next five years, including this year. Like, even yeah. when trading around seven thousand, six thousand, I, I told my friends, I was like, "I think there's something amazing here." Like, yeah, and. I want that. I, that's why it's so important for me to try to get the Muslim community and other people involved as well. Anyone really, and everyday people, because right now what's happening? Like even recently, we had what, it went to forty thousand and it dropped uh, a lot. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. It dropped like what twenty percent uh, more, right? Yeah, around twenty percent, thirty percent, over twenty percent actually. Yeah. So yes, that happened, and that volatility uh, is followed by literally within the last month. It, like what it went up. Uh, Near. Probably doubled. Yeah. More than doubled. Yeah. So just it's, from it, the beginning of so December. So then it's amazing. Like when you see like, yeah, it just doubled and then it falls 30% and the news is like, oh my God, it's a bubble. I knew it. Like how many times are you going to embarrass yourself? Like <laughs> publishing this stuff. It's this nonsense. It's garbage. Like do some research. Like even New York Times in one of the articles, someone, they quoted a dude or they wrote this. I forgot where it was. It said the Bitcoin network lost my password. I'm like, what? Like, let me read that again. Like, Bitcoin network lost my password. Bitcoin is a protocol, a set of rules. It's like you saying forgot your password. <laughs> it's like saying the internet forget my forgot my password. Like, what do you mean the internet forgot your password? How does the internet, which is just a protocol, yeah, lose your password? Like, what you the hell? Forgot, are, like, what are you password. publishing? Like, yeah. New York Times is publishing this garbage. Like, and what's amazing is, um, yeah. So I don't take anything from these. Like, uh, like I, I tend to yeah. follow like a lot of Substack. Uh, Medium, people on medium. Alt news. It's not alt news, <laughs> but I, I I look for people who have who are trustworthy. Okay. Like in for politics, do you know Glenn uh, Greenwald? I do not. It's a very honest dude. Uh, uh, Jonathan Brown actually loves him. Okay. Uh, but anyway, uh, he's one guy that follows. But there's so many other journalists and stuff who I consider honest people. Mm-hmm. And of course, they all have their biases. So I'm not. I don't necessarily agree with them, but I I, I but I do tend to believe that they'll be honest based on their track record. So I'll no. much, I'd much rather follow them than some nonsense propaganda from like Fox News or nonsense mm-hmm. propaganda. Like, let's be honest, like, even with liberal media, there's a lot of garbage propaganda where, yeah. where 
Like they're they're thinking like there's some sort of saints where they're unbiased and so reasonable, but a lot of a lot of garbage published by both sides. So I'm yeah. just like, hey, I'm I'm gonna trust what I trust. Um, what was what was the original question you were asking that led to this? I think Bitcoin um, being a religion. I, I think no, no, no. Like, like uh, just before this though. Different things we get. Uh, how do we how do we get to? Um, no, yeah, we spoke about whales as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but essentially, I um, I don't tend to um, I take my news from people I Got trust, you. and those individuals. It's not just one individual. It's like my email. Like I get so many newsletters for politics. I get so many newsletters mm-hmm. for finance. And um, what's happening right now is actually a lot of institutions are coming in. Yeah. That's what's so ironic. Like you have BlackRock, Morgan Stanley, all these other institutions who are uh, making. Like who are taking indirectly taking positions into Bitcoin. Like uh, they they both I think took yeah. a huge position in a company called MicroStrategy, which is essentially uh, like only Bitcoin. Yeah. Except every time Bitcoin goes up ten percent, MicroStrategy goes up a little bit more than ten percent. Okay. So um, even with all these institutions and all these big names like Morgan Stanley, you know, big names. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it's not those are just true. There's right. They, yeah. Even with all these, uh, Bitcoin is still the only. Crypto that's fully decentralized. All right. So this is yeah. This is a uh, a topic of uh, controversy. Yeah. Okay. So when you have these blockchains, you okay. have you have these node operators, as I mentioned. And what happens is, just like with Bitcoin, what happened was it grew organically. Yeah. And it was just released into the public, and yes, it was ran like yes, it was ran the first node and the first he mined the first few Bitcoins computer back yeah. then. And it grew gradually, naturally, organically. Mm-hmm. And now these other ones like Ethereum, which came after, he created it. He uh, mined a certain amount. He had control over the network. Mm-hmm. He exercised the control over that network. Vita, like Vitorin, being the, the guy I mentioned here. Yeah. And then the network, over time, other people started running their nodes. And it's important because the nodes, you have to have a certain amount of the consensus within the network, like certain yeah. amount of, you have to control a certain amount of the nodes or the uh, mining network or whatever. It, I think it's just the nodes that allows for you to have control over governing the protocol. Who sets yeah. the rules? Can these rules be changed? What is the supply of it, of that currency, right? Cryptocurrency. Well, I think the supply of uh, Ethereum was changed three times. They also, Bitcoin's supposed to be immutable ledger, but they, uh, I think, they also uh, reversed the transaction for uh, a lot of these altcoins, but they reversed the transaction on Ethereum, I think, once. And so the, then, is it is this in, is it an immutable ledger anymore? Is it an unchangeable ledger of, of transactions? Can you trust that? Can you trust Vitalik and these other dudes? Like uh, other not dudes. I don't know if they're dudes. They do yeah. or whatever. <laughs> uh, so can you trust these people who yeah. um, have a large portion of the control over the network? I wouldn't trust them because at the end of the day, like the whole message of Bitcoin and the purpose of it was you don't trust a central bank. These guys are operating like a central bank because they have control over it. And he, as an individual, even like a, has huge influence over uh, Ethereum as well because he's the founder and creator and they idolized him as well, right? Uh, Again, Satoshi, a religion, right? Yeah, so. yeah. and whereas Satoshi, even Satoshi is idolized as well, but Satoshi is like a sci-fi figure for them, which is and yeah. no one really knows who it is. There is um, it's an idea. He's an idea. Yeah, there's now. a series on YouTube that tries to find out Satoshi's uh, identity. 
Yeah. Have you watched it? I, I watched a lot of uh, I've watched a lot of research on this, but I don't know if I saw that specific one. Was it the one they find the Japanese dude named Satoshi Nakamoto? No. The poor was, dude, um, bro. They, 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 it was it was I forget the YouTube channel, but he he uh, this same YouTube channel they did like a, a whole documentary series on um what is money on the uh, the Silk Road. Uh, is it Cold Fusion? I I, I forget the name. I'm blanking on the name, but they did like a, a really good documentary series on the Silk Road. The yeah, the, around, like, you yeah know, the, whole, the uh, first marketplace where people transacted using Bitcoin, but it ended up being a lot of uh, illegal transactions. Yeah, like a but the bunch dude, of underground the, the, the dude who created though, he didn't have that intention. He was just like, okay, I'm just going to make a site where people transact. Yeah, so, so the Silk Road, yeah. he, he did a whole like uh, few videos on that, and then he did a couple videos on trying to find out who's Satoshi Nakamoto is. And I think he did, I didn't watch it no, fully. No, no, I didn't watch it fully, but he had, he, he had some speculation to it. He probably thinks it's Hal Finney, or there's a few guys who everyone narrows it down to. I'll show yeah. it. I'll show it to you after. But um, um, there's so there's still like a lot of people that are trying to find out who he is, like dedicating yeah. hours. There's a funny story. It was like uh, they found like this old Japanese guy, and that was I shouldn't say old, but it's just a, it's just a gentleman, right. Japanese right. gentleman who. Uh, they're like, wait, his name is Satoshi Nakamoto, and uh, <laughs> I think he works in like computer science or something. <laughs> what a coincidence. I was like, no, no, this is this is not me. Like, it's not me at all. And everyone's like, no, it's him, it's him. And obviously, like, imagine the getting the attention just because your name is Satoshi Nakamoto as well. And um, that's crazy. Imagine that name proving popularity. I, I, I think I think uh, I I'm forgetting details of the story exactly, but he um, there's like, all these interviews. He's like, yeah, I am not Satoshi Nakamoto. He's like, during the time when it was created, I was at my job. You can ask my coworkers. <laughs> he's like something like that. He's like, you can ask. Like, he's yeah. literally confirming. Like, this is this is my alibi. You know, uh, Ash Ketchum in Japanese is his name is Satoshi. Is it? Yeah. I Ash, know that. Ash is his first name Satoshi. He created Pokemon's name is Satoshi Tajiri. Satoshi Tajiri. 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 That's the creator of Pokemon's name? Yeah. yeah. But Ash's name is also Satoshi. Yeah, the name is What's his last name in Japanese? I don't think it's Ketchum, right? It's not Ketchum. It's definitely not Ketchum. Got a Ketchum Mall? I don't know. Is that where you came from? Oh, got a Ketchum Mall. And that's why it's called Ketchum. Uh, yeah, that's a tagline. I mean, you think so? That's why they called it that. <laughs> Wait, seriously? You need a whole other episode for this one. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. <laughs> okay, so going back to Bitcoin. Yeah. So essentially, uh, I'm not sure if this will be the last part, but the reason why it's so valuable uh, as an asset is because it's right now it's more than anything. It's this thing called a store of value. Gold is a store of value because yeah. uh, it's hard to, uh, when there's inflation and stuff, you go to assets that... Are likely to store your values yeah. and make sure your purchasing power doesn't decrease. Purchasing power being the total amount of things you can buy. If there's inflation, the total amount of things you can buy just decreases. So when you buy gold, you make sure that if there's inflation, your purchasing power is maintained. Now Bitcoin, unlike gold, is even more scarce. It's well, it's going. It's using stocks. Well, it's going to become more scarce in within a few years. But right now, it's still incredibly scarce, and the as we know, the supply uh, has been reduced, and that's causing a gradual. It's first a gradual and then sudden exponential rise. Gotcha. And it's likely to, I shouldn't, yeah, I shouldn't give estimations usually, but this is, I think, very gotcha. likely. It's, it's going to. And that, that's why you always advise to never look for short term gain. Yeah, so it's unhealthy because everyone's getting used to, like, hey, like, I just made. Like, in a I, month, you I, double it pretty much. And that's not normal. That's absolutely insane. Um, but, like, what? Like, some people are going to make 20 times their money. They're going to be like, if, yeah. it hits, if it hits 200,000, it'll make 20x or 40 times their money. Yeah. And that's not normal because then they're like, where do I get my next 40x? But at the end of the day, like, this is amazing. 
Warren Buffett has only gotten on average a return of over his entire career something like twenty one or twenty two percent every year. That's it. He didn't start with like of money. No, nope. it's a crap ton. It wasn't a crap ton of money when he started off. He just built up to that. He compounded it. He just compounded. It was an insane amount of money, but of course he was yeah. very wise. He was, he was very smart as a kid with his business right. ideas. Uh, but he compounded that money and yeah. at a, over time, twenty two percent rate. He's a billionaire. He, he only became a millionaire when he was at thirty. That's why I think uh, the go to advice is always invest in ETFs and index funds. Um, but it's, it's so it's now, so complicated. It's, now it's kind of. It's become it's, so complicated. It's gray, right? Like it's a pretty gray area. It's so right complicated now. because uh, the government's pumping the stock market. The government, the, these companies are not making much earnings yeah. at all. They're not doing well. Yet the prices are going up. That's just because the number of dollars in the economy is falling. Because of the can't fund. <laughs> yes. So it's so strange. I, I don't know. I have no clue if uh, ETFs will. Of course, if there's clear inflation. I think you gave me that advice actually. Yeah. This is. It's much better than. Uh, Way better. Yeah. Not advice, not advice, but you, you, but, yeah, you I gave me that book. That yeah, so that advice. book, the index fund, it, that's true. But right now it's going to be, what I think, more than anything, over long periods of time, these uh, ETFs, index funds, are going to do very well. S&P 500, NASDAQ, NASDAQ is more likely to do well. Because they, they're, they're stable, they're always going to be there. They're not necessarily stable, but they're made up of so many different companies so that if a few of them go bankrupt, uh, well, you still have, it's not, those aren't like the entire thing. It's yeah represented by 500 or 100 right. companies. And so what I think is likely is because all this money is being printed and it's being printed by issuing more debt, mm-hmm. right? Debt makes the economy fragile, according to Nassim Taleb, who's the author of this book called Anti-Fragile. And he's also one of the investors who predicts these events, like economic shocks. I think there's gonna be a lot of volatility. Like you'll see huge swings in the same time. And what's amazing is over time, as much as Right now, Bitcoin is this huge volatile thing. I think Bitcoin will over time become the least volatile asset exists. It's not. Uh, well, Charles was the first one to say that. You heard it here first, guys. You're gonna. But no, this, this is like very. This is this for very long. Uh, this is not my statement either. It's uh, something that Charles had said. Um, Bitcoin over time is going to because of. It's just going to be because of uh, if it get, becomes adopted more and more. Mm-hmm. Right now, what's causing the volatility of Bitcoin? Well, it's because of. It's still early on. It's been only like we're still at a two point five percent adoption, well below that. Right. And what's happening is there's a supply shock for the, yeah. and that's what causes the volatility. So over time, it's going to decrease because the amount of new Bitcoin being created is just going to be less and less. Okay. But yeah, but probably like the reason why it's so valuable is just because you have a world where governments believe they can print infinite amounts of money, and mm-hmm. those are not my words. Those are the words of Federal Reserve. They're like, yeah, we can. There's no limit to how much money we can print. That's literally the quote. Mm-hmm. There's no. They're like, there's no. The, uh, the guy from 60 Minutes or something was like, wait, there's no limit to how much you can print. There's a, and he re- confirmed. He's like, there's no limit. I tend to disagree. So I put my money in Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that's perfectly to wrap up. Um, and the one I'm, I'm actually very surprised you didn't mention this, but uh, the one fan of Hodling. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you want to explain huddle term? <laughs> Essentially, someone misspelled the word hold Bitcoin. They wrote huddle. And so now everyone decided within the community yeah. adopted it, but now even Wall Street and people in. Yeah, even everyone, people publishing huddle has become a technical term. And it's even, like, even considered an acronym, right? Like it's. it's oh, yeah, yeah. For, it's uh, hold on to for, dear, yeah. for dear life. Yeah, yeah. hold on to dear life, uh, which essentially just means hold it for long term. Yeah, even if as the price.
uh, that's what I'm planning to do, inshallah. If I sold, I would sell like a very small portion to gotcha. diversify it. But I, I, I'm going to hold on to it, inshallah. But yeah. So that was our Bitcoin Chronicles, a tale of Satoshi Nakamoto, memers, uh, economists, investors, Dewan Hassan, and inshallah. You guys, as well. <laughs> as well. Um, yeah. Uh, do you want you have any closing remarks? Any any last words of advice? Any last uh, yeah. So I I I'd say like don't become so uh, enamored by the price movement as the price mm-hmm. goes up and up. Look at read the Bitcoin Standard by Saifuddin Amos. That's gonna cover like all the important portions you need to know about Bitcoin. And he covered his I think the first five chapters of the book is just history and monetary history and economics. And it's it's written in such a beautiful way that's so simple to understand. Not like our economists today. And then read the book The Price of Tomorrow by Jeff Booth, which is an amazing book. And what's crazy is Jeff Booth predicted everything that happened in 2020 economically. He wrote that book before that. And he was like, he predicted all of it. And he was like, governments are going to have to print this much money. This is just going to happen. I'm like, and I read this and I was like, what the hell? Who is this guy? How did he predict all this? And that's where I learned about the models he was using uh, to understand the economy. So I recommend those two books. Those two books were amazing to me. And non finance books, I, I recommend this uh, audio book, it's called, How to, it's, it's a series of lectures by a professor named Wayne Dyer, mm-hmm. the book is called How to Be a No Limit Person, it sounds really cheesy, <laughs> it sounds so cheesy, but Charles, Charles recommended it to me, and when I, when I research someone's work, mm-hmm. I want to understand everything about them, right, so I, I literally read every, I'm reading every book that he recommended, I'm re- reading everything he has ever written, even though he's not like this famous figure or something. But of course, I do the same thing for Warren Buffett as, and other people as well. I try to do that. But he's much older, so he has a lot more content out there. Yeah. And I think it's valuable because you're trying to think how, think how they're, figure out how they're thinking and try to emulate what they're yeah. doing. Gotcha. So inshallah, yeah. But thank you. I had a lot of fun. Um, of course, and, yeah. of course. And inshallah, we have you back on in a uh, future episode. Um, I'm sure the viewers really enjoyed it. I'm sure inshallah, that we all I hope I wasn't too confusing. Yeah. No worries. And the tangents are, of course, a natural part of the Shady Youth, so you're never going away. Um, thanks again, Dewan, uh, for being on this episode. Thank you guys for watching. And as usual, have an amazing day. Assalamu alaikum. <laughs>